how good it is to worship our great God. Amen? I don't know about you, but I get jazzed up for Sundays. And I really get jazzed up when people show up. So it's really nice that you're here. I'm so grateful to see you. I hope you've had a good week. And uh, we are here to worship our good God. So let us continue to, to do that. Today we get to continue our Supernatural Living Sermon Series, that which I introduced and began last Sunday. And today we're carrying forward with that same series. How many of you would like to live on a higher plane? How many of you would like more power, more resurrection power of Jesus in your life? Amen? How many of you would like to be more overcomers, to have more victory in your life? This is what this entire sermon series is all about. If Jesus has risen from the dead, this changes everything. Amen? And it needs to change how we live and how we can live in Christ even today. So um, thank you for being here, and we welcome all of you who may be listening or watching online. Praise God. I uh, hope you've had a good week, and uh, thank you for being with us again today. Today, as we look at this uh, message or this uh, scripture passage to today comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, looking at an Old Testament passage, verses 31 through 33. And I want to invite you to follow the words on the screen as I read it for you today. Let's focus in today and really hone in on the Word of God and just let God speak to us through His Word. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of the Lord, excuse me, the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come before you today to hear you speak, to offer praises, to offer prayers, and to hear your word read and proclaimed that we could be uplifted, that we could focus our minds and our hearts on things above this world and all the craziness and chaos therein. So God, come. Speak to us, Lord. Use us. Help us, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Brothers and sisters loved by God, uh, do you like surprises? Yes. Yeah, kind of probably depends on what it is, right? Uh, maybe your family threw a big surprise birthday party for you and they kept it all a secret. You had no idea and it was great, right? I mean, whoa, couldn't believe it. All these people, how did, how did I not know? Maybe your spouse gave you an unexpected gift for your anniversary. Oh, honey, thanks for the new truck. You know, it's great. I really love it, you know. 
Maybe an old friend dropped in on you and unsurprised, I mean, surprised you with a, with a visit to your home. You weren't quite prepared, but it was, it was great to catch up. Or, or maybe you were surprised when your favorite team, when they, when they won or when they lost, maybe that was a bad surprise. Some surprises are good and some not so good, right? Surprise parties and gifts are almost always a good thing. Waking up to snow on the ground in April, it's a bad surprise. Opening your bill and discovering that your phone rates have gone up still again, that's a bad surprise. Having your taxes done and understanding that you're going to get a refund, that's a good surprise. But what about a surprise from God? Do you think God likes surprises? Do you think God likes to surprise others? Maybe God would like to surprise you today. Would that be good? Would that be bad? Today, we continue our Supernatural Living Sermon Series with a message that I have entitled, The Divine Surprise. Last week, we considered the cry of our soul for something deeper, something higher, something more than the, what this world can offer. And today, we reveal a stunning twist, a surprise that may shock you. But in order to understand this divine surprise, which I can assure you is very good, by the way, we must journey back in time. In order to fully appreciate this divine surprise, we must review and retrace a bit of biblical history that is God's dealing with His people, going all the way back to the Old Testament. Only by doing this will we truly understand how amazing God's surprise really is. This is a surprise from God that you will absolutely love, trust me. A surprise that will help you live the supernatural life that you have always dreamed of and desired deep in your heart of hearts. And I get to tell you about this surprise today. Three stages to understanding the divine surprise. Grab your outline, a pen or pencil, fill it in as we go. Number one, the first kind of stage or component to this surprise is God's expectation. Just say it with me. God's expectation. Everyone has expectations of others, right? I mean, uh, you have an expectation that when you do the work for your employer, that he or she's going to pay you a fair wage, that you're going to get your paycheck at the end of the pay cycle, right? You expect that your kids are going to go to school and do their homework and get passing grades. You expect that your spouse, if you're married, is going to take a bath or a shower at least once a week, whether they need it or not, Right? You expect the church service to be done in about an hour, a good hour. Not too long, Pastor. Well, God has expectations too. God has expectations of His people. It's referred to loosely in the Old Testament as the covenant that God makes with His people, kind of a promise. God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless. 
Okay? God is saying, I am God. I will be your God, but you, you walk before me. You be blameless. God says to Moses in Exodus 19, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. Wow. God is calling us his treasured possession. He says, I will be your God and you will be my treasured possession, but, but you got to keep my commandments. Later, God spells out these commandments even more, his expectations for his people. More specifically, it seems like as, as scripture goes on, as time goes on, God is kind of clarifying and defining more and more his covenant, his expectations with us. And, and so we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet what belongs to your neighbors. Basically, God says this. I will be your God. I will provide for you. I will love you. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will bless your socks off. And I'll give you life. But I need you to follow me, to obey me, to live by my commandments, to honor me, and to make me number one in your life. With a reasonable amount of cooperation from you, I will be your God and you will never have to worry. You do that, I've got your back, says God. You do that, I will never, ever let you down. I will always provide for you. And this is what God is saying. This is the relationship, the covenant that God makes. There's kind of a two sides, we, his part and our part. Now, how do you think God's people did in keeping the covenant? Well, you know the Old Testament, right? More often than not, they chased after other gods, they fell into sin, and they disobeyed God. They broke their covenant. Deuteronomy 31, And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your fathers. God is saying to Moses, You're, you're going to die soon. And these people, the people that you've just led out of Egypt, all of these Israelites, they will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering, into the promised land. They're going to start mixing with those gods and idols. They're going to prostitute themselves and bow down to them, and they will forsake me and break the covenant. There's that word covenant, which we're going to talk about a lot today. I made with them. The Lord says in Jeremiah, those, uh, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve them and worship them. See, the truth is God's people fail miserably in keeping God's expectations of us, in keeping the covenant. They did not meet God's expectations, and the fact is neither do we. But does God still demand obedience from us today? Yes. Does God still require that we follow His law today? Yes. Does God still want us to place Him number one in our lives? 
Yes, absolutely. Do we do any better in meeting God's expectations than the Israelites of old? No. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one perfect, no, not one. I don't care who you are. I know that maybe you know people who think they're perfect, but they're not. We're all sinners and we all fall short. Now, Paul struggles with this in Romans 7.8. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Paul is saying, look, this old covenant, it's not working. It's not helpful for producing a, a life of, of holiness that is honoring and pleasing to God. In fact, the, the law, the sin, it, it, excuse me, the law, the commandments only produced in me the desire to sin. They incited me to sin. You see a no trespassing sign. What do you want to do? I want to go in there, you know? Do not enter. I'm going in, you know? Uh, you see, the speed limit posted at 55. How fast do you want to drive? If you're like me, you know, you're going right through. The sign says, do not touch the merchandise. What do you want to do? Oh, that looks so, it's a nice furry rug. I got to, you know. The law only incites us to sin. It, 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 it was not useful. And the bottom line is no one meets up to God's holy expectations. I don't, you don't, we all fall short. Sinning seems to be in our nature. Does God's expectations of holiness and obedience for us still stand? Yes. But we don't follow them. We can't meet that expectation. Um, God says, be holy as I am holy. <laughs> Good luck with that. And so God's expectations are the, the failed expectations of our part of God uh, lead to number two, God's frustration. Just say it with me, God's frustration. Have you ever tried to help an animal that was in need or kind of hurting maybe? You know, an old stray, straggly dog wanders up to your house, and you're like, oh, that poor dog, it looks terrible, it needs some help, it looks it's skinny, I need to feed it, and you, you try to help it out, and the dog just runs, he's afraid, he's scared, he, maybe he's been abused, who knows. My dad used to set rat traps around the farm, around the barn, because uh, we had rats, and they were always running around in the, in the bins and stuff like that, eating the oats or whatever. Um, and so dad set these rat traps. Well, we also had several cats on the, on the farm. So you know, now you know where this is going. So the, one of the cats one day got his, he stepped on one of those rat traps and, of course, clamped shut on him. And uh, I heard that I got home from school and I was out and about and I kind of heard the cat kind of whining and meowing and crying. Like I went over there and uh, sure enough, he was caught in there, but he was, he was so beside himself. He was just uh, stressed out. He was kind of hissing at me. He didn't want me to even, I couldn't even go near him. I just, I would try to set him free. So thankfully dad got home from work and he was able to set the cat was fine. And uh, his leg fell off. No, it didn't. It was, he was still, he was okay. And you know, he didn't chew his leg off or anything like that, like a rat will. But anyway, you know, it was fine. When I was younger still, probably maybe five or six years old, I remember on a Sunday, we had Sunday dinner, 
And um, after dinner, it was a summer day, and I was outside, and all of a sudden our dog started barking. I don't, I don't remember if it was Wiggles or Sparky or which one it was, but one of our dogs started barking like crazy, and I, I went over to investigate. The dog was kind of kneeled down, kind of on his, uh, you know, looking underneath one of our corn cribs, okay, on the farm, and, and he was, there was a little air movement under there, and he was barking, he was wagging his tail a mile a minute, and he was all excited and jumping around and stuff like that. And so I thought, what in the world is he barking at? And I looked under there, and I saw two little, two little eyes looking up at me, and they, oh, they were so cute. And I thought, oh, it's a bunny rabbit. It's a bunny rabbit that is scared to death, you know, because of the, the, the dog was barking at him. So I went and tied up the dog, and I went back, and I, I knelt down. I said, here, bunny, bunny, bunny. Here, bunny, bunny, bunny. Come on out, bunny. It's okay. You're safe now. And, of course, the bunny didn't, didn't come out. Well, then uh, my dad and, and uh, Mark came right after that and uh, see what was going on and they said that's no bunny it's a woodchuck <laughs> i was going here bunny bunny to a woodchuck i should have been going here woodchuck here chucky you know that way he probably would have come then i had the whole had the whole animal thing wrong but well that woodchuck you kind of probably guess what happened to him on the farm so he, it didn't fare too well for him the truth is there's a little wild animal in all of us. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we don't know what's good for us. We bite the hand that feeds us. We forget that God's intentions are always for our good. God wants nothing but the best for us. He wants to help you, provide for you, bless you, prosper you, give you life. And yet we run from God. We, we hiss at Him. We hide from God. We're afraid to let Him near. Now, those of you who are parents, you know this really well, that your kids do not always do what's right, what's good for them, right? I mean, you know, you try to teach them, you try to lead them, you try to show them the way, and you try to guide and lead them, and, oh, mom, oh, dad, you know, I've heard it, you know, I know, you know, so like that. And they don't want to hear it sometimes, right? And, and it's just, it's frustrating, because you, you hate to see them make decisions that are going to maybe harm them. God is your heavenly parent. And he's looking down upon us. And he says, come to me. All I want to do is love you and care for you and help you and provide for you. I, I want a relationship with you. You're my children. I created you for, for, for relationship with, with me and with each other and and God loves us, and yet, even if we're too scared or too stubborn or too selfish, we, we just can't seem to come to God. And not only do we have a problem, but so does God, in a sense, kind of have a problem here, because how does a loving God reach out to a stubborn, stiff-necked people? God has high hopes and holy expectations for you. And yet, we disappoint Him and frustrate Him over and over again. We wander, we stray, we sin, we run from God. How does God continue to share and show His love to us, even though we may be rebellious? Well, thankfully, God doesn't give up on us. Amen. Here's the good news. God kind of goes to kind of plan B, if you will. And he begins revealing a new plan spoken now through the prophet Jeremiah. We read the passage. Let's review it. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with a, a new covenant, as opposed to the old one, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when, they, when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. 
Because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them. I did everything right. I provided, declares the Lord. No, this is the covenant I will make with them, with the house of Israel after me, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. Say it with me. In their minds and write it on their hearts. Say it with me. On their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is foretelling a new covenant now with his people. I will put my law in your mind and write it on your heart. No longer is the covenant, you shall, you shall not. It is God saying, I will do this in and through you. God is going to help you keep your end of the bargain, praise God. If my people cannot keep my law externally, I will give my law to you internally, says God. I'll write my law on the inside of you. And Ezekiel 36 echoes God's new promise and the predicted new covenant with his people. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Hang in there with me. And you will be clean. Listen up. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Did you catch that? God is promising the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out into us. That law is going to be written in our minds, in our hearts. God says, I will keep my part of the covenant I made with you, and I will keep your part of the covenant as well. It's amazing. God devises a way around our disobedience. God revises and rewrites this covenant with his people, with you and me. And God turns his frustration into a way forward. Wow. What a creative God. What a loving God. What a gracious God. He never gives up on you. He doesn't turn his back on you. Okay. The old covenant didn't work too well, so here's what I'm going to do. We'll make a new covenant because I love you. And I can't stand to think about living eternity without you. That's what God is saying. God's expectation of holiness, God's frustration with our sinfulness and His creativity in devising a new covenant. And then thirdly, are you ready for the big surprise? Are you ready for it? Okay, are the balloons and streamers and confetti ready here? Are the big reveal? All right. God's expectation. God's frustration. Number three. God's inhabitation. Say it with me. God's inhabitation. Let me say it cleanly and clearly. Here it is. The divine surprise that no other God would even think of doing is that our God is taking up residence inside of you and me. This is the new covenant, the New Testament 
that God institutes with us. Jesus says in Luke 22, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And what did he say? What did he say? What did Jesus say? He took the cup. This cup is the new covenant. Say it with me. New covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. Say it with me. The new covenant in my blood. Friends, the Lord's Supper is a picture of Jesus in habitation of you by his spirit. This is my body, says Jesus. This is my blood. Not literally, he's speaking figuratively here, but now you, you ingest it. Take it in, drink ye all of it. Let me, says Jesus, sink deep into your heart and soul. I want to live in you. I'm taking up residence in you. You, your heart, your life, your soul, you are my new home and I am moving in. This is the divine surprise. And what a surprise it is. What kind of God would do such a thing as to come and live inside his people? No other God. No other worldly religion but our God. Here's the testimony of the New Testament, the new promise that God makes. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Say it with me. Christ lives in me. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them Christ is living in you. Do it. Say it. Ephesians 1, the author writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know three things, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and thirdly, here's the punchline, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his, excuse me, that was number two, here's the third one, his incomparably great power, say it with me, his incomparably great power for us who believe. What power? That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Friends, you have resurrection power living in you. By virtue of Jesus and his spirit that is living in you. If you believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you open your heart and you say, yes, Lord, come in, he will do it. And your life will forever be changed. John just simply put it this way. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
Friends, the good news is that resurrection power is living in you today. You don't have to strive to be better, try harder at following God's commands. No, just release what is already in you. Get out of the way and let Jesus do in your life today what he did some 2,000 years ago, live in and through you. You can be his hands and his feet and his voice, his words to those around you. Somebody say amen. amen. The divine power of the resurrected Christ lives in your heart, and he lives in all who believe and receive him. What more do we need? Like an artesian well, you just tap in and let the, the water, the living water of the Holy Spirit well up within you. Like plugging in to the power source and letting the energy of God Almighty zap you and flow through you. Christian discipleship is not imitation, trying to imitate Jesus, trying to be more like God, striving to be a better person or learning more or gaining more knowledge. No, that's not Christian discipleship. It is not imitation. Christian discipleship is inhabitation. It is allowing God, who lives in believers through Jesus Christ, to release His resurrection power in you to get out of the way and let Jesus live. The old covenant and law of God was externally imposed. The new covenant and law of God is internally implanted. Instead of, I have to, I shall do, I must do, now it's, I want to. I get to, I will do, I can do it. With the strength of Christ, I can do all things. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the contrast? The old covenant was based on man's works, demonstrating what we can do for God. The new covenant is God demonstrating what he can do in and through man, you. That's the surprise God in you. Amen? Amen? Two short stories. A father and his son took turns cutting the grass. They had a rather large place and a lot of grass, and they would take turns cutting the grass. And, but his father, the, the dad, noticed that his son always seemed to complete the job in less time than he did and that he seemed so much less exhausted when he was done. Now, dad was in good shape. He worked out. He was, a, he was a strong, and he wasn't that old, you know. He was a young fella, and he could keep up with the best of them. But he looked at his son, and he was amazed. And finally, he asked his son, son, how do you do it? You get this done lickety-split. You, you just cut this guy, and you're not even tired. You're not even sweating when you're done, you know. He says, I do it, and I'm sweating and tired out. He says, well, son, how do you do it? Well, is, well, let me show you how, dad. He goes, he fires up the mower, and he flips the lever. And, no, hold, hold it, his dad. Well, what, what's that lever for? Dad, that's the lever that makes the wheels turn. It was a self-propelled mower, and dad didn't even know it. One of those newfangled mowers, you know, he didn't even realize what he was buying, what he had, and, and so... He was using all of his own energy. And if you ever tried to mow grass with a self-propelled mower, you know, you're, it's, it's harder than a regular mower. You're turning all the gears inside to get those wheels going. 
some of you are pushing a self-propelled mower. And we need to engage the lever and let the power of Jesus Christ turn the wheels in your life and just kind of move you forward. Story number two. There was a high school basketball coach who was struggling with his team. They were losing almost all of their games, and the season was not going well. And he struggled with what to do, and finally he thought he would try a different approach. And so he, instead of having a regular practice on that day, he, he uh, kind of invited all of the team over to his home, and he sat them down in front of his big screen TV, and he put in old tapes, recordings of Michael Jordan playing basketball. And he said, I want you to study this. I want you to watch Michael Jordan. Watch him run the court. Watch him rebound. Watch Michael Jordan shoot. Watch Michael Dor Jordan slam dunk. Uh, watch uh, Michael Jordan juke out the opponents and, and win games. And then he said, he brought him back to the court, and he said, now I want you to do this. I want you to imagine that Michael Jordan is living in you. From now on, you will run like Michael Jordan, you will rebound like Michael Jordan, you will shoot like Michael Jordan, you will be able to slam dunk if you can jump that high, like Michael Jordan, you will juke out the opponents, and you will win like Michael Jordan. Kind of a visualization exercise. From now on, Michael Jordan is in you and he is animating your body. And do you know what happened? The team started winning games. Now, we know Michael Jordan wasn't really inside of anybody. But Jesus is inside of you. He's living in you. And with him, you can become more and more like Jesus. Say, I want to be like Mike. No, I want to be like Jesus. His power, His energy. He can animate your life with His power. And this is the divine surprise. No other God, no other religion except our God. Let's pray. God, we come before You today and we just want to confess before You this morning that, Lord, so often we... We try to do it all on our own, in our own strength. We're trying to be good, trying to be better, trying to imitate, when really, Lord, all we need to do is get out of the way and let you inhabitate us. Lord, would you come and inhabit our lives, our hearts, our souls, our bodies? Would you make us more like Jesus? Lord, help us to tap into that power that is there, the divine surprise of Jesus by his Spirit living in us. the mystery made known to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. And so, God, so often we forget this. And so often we burn ourselves out and we run ourselves ragged and we're frayed and frenzied with all of the demands of life. And really, all we need to do is one thing, to love you, love others. Help us stay connected to the vine of Jesus in us. So God, come, 
This is the supernatural life that we have always dreamed of and desired deeply. Help us to embrace you. In your holy name we pray it. Amen.